Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today we're going to talk about three stories. First, Washington University gave inmates college degrees. The coolest thing, I'll tell you about that. Number two, because this is the first Tuesday of the month, we have Star Parker joining us and talking about silencing Christian conservatives and other stories. And last, this today is the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Talk about why that matters and a little hint about tomorrow's show. We'll have an expert joining to talk to us about that. So thanks again for tuning in. And we're going to talk about, of course, why these stories matter to you. Thanks for tuning in. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In today's first five, I just want to tell you the coolest story. I love stories sometimes to just tell you about the goodness of people in America, the goodness of some institutions in America trying very hard to actually help their fellow man and think of ways that can actually help lift others up. Washington University, or what is often called WashU, which is outside of St. Louis, started a program and it involves teaching inmates who are in prison, giving them college classes. And just this past week, they had their first graduation inside, inside this correctional institution. It is actually, it's called the Washington University Prison Education Project. And the uh, students uh, were at the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center State Prison for Men. The, the uh, men, all convicted of felonies, so these, are, these are people who may be in for a while, convicted of felonies, they earned associate degrees by completing 60 credits in courses taught by Wash U professors, Washington University professors in the prison. And the, they took two to four classes each semester. They uh, didn't get charged. So this is a, uh, a gift from Washington University to the community, to really to America. Uh, they took courses in things ranging from Chinese civilization, introduction to, ma- to macroeconomics, Greek mythology, actual college courses. And the reason I wanted to share it, number one, is just to say America is a country filled with good people who try to do good things. The idea of giving these young men an education so when they finish prison, they can put on their resume, despite they're obviously going to have to put that they went through the experience of being in prison, but they can also put on their resume that they have an associate degree. And some of these were in, you know, kind of challenging academic subjects, macroeconomics, for example. But I really also wanted to show you, my wonderful producer, Matt, has some pictures to show you. I just want to show you these sweet faces. Look at those young men's faces. Look how happy they are, how proud they are. Those young men are sitting in this prison. They're still in prison. The graduation occurred in the visitor center in prison. That one guy you see there in the center. No, actually, yeah, the, the crick, that guy. I mean, that smile is just about heart melting. His name is Jamar Johnson. Uh, he's joining other graduates at the, and anyway, so the graduation was actually May 22nd. Again, Missouri Eastern Correctional Center. A couple other pictures of the people 
there. Um, these guys are actually singing the Wash You alma mater at this graduation um, in prison. And the last picture is this one guy. Um, he's actually being congratulated by a, by a fellow inmate. But this story just kind of grabbed my heart because Wash U is, first of all, a very competitive university. Um, our kids are grown, but one of our kids actually looked at Wash U quite seriously um, after high or during high school. And it is a, a, a kind of an up-and-coming, trendy university. Up-and-coming meaning it's, it has strong academic uh, credits, strong academic pull. Um, it is a thoughtful place. And the idea that people at that university decided, and there are, by the way, programs like this around the country, uh, universities trying to say, can we help people who are in prison by doing more than just, you know, um, helping them they get out, helping with transition, but helping them while they're in prison, enabling them to have something to add to their resume when they get out. So, um, you know, this is, a, in fact, I'll tell you one other quick thing about this story because it really did uh, just about melted me. So one guy in the prison, um, one of the graduates was interviewed. Now, he's still in prison, got to finish his sentence, but in, he was interviewed and he actually talked about um, solving calculus problems, reading Homer's The Odyssey, but he said what he thought was most important from having these classes while in prison is that it helped him learn critical thinking skills. I can tell you folks, you know, the stats we all see about prison, people who end up in prison, of course, all backgrounds, but, you know, people end up, are more likely to end up in prison when they come from low-income areas, when they come from poor areas with poor education, poor public school education, people from struggling families tend to be more likely to end up up in prison. So the idea of this university just saying, I want to do something that's actually going to help and mean something and potentially change these young men's lives. Um, so they had uh, one little fact I was going to tell you about it was um, this is actually there are this article says there are scores as many as you know, 20 or so uh, programs like this across the country with the idea of working, helping people in prison get liberal degree, liberal arts degrees while they're still incarcerated. And there are a, as you know, in prisons across the country, all sorts of things that are offered to prisoners that are practical skills, and people learn uh, trades in prison and other things they can use when they get out. And I, I think that there's nothing wrong with those programs. But I like the idea of if someone in prison is willing to attend classes, take the test, learn the subject, and actually speak fondly and happily about learning critical thinking skills, this is just a great thing for America and for mankind. So this is one of my just upbeat, gotta love this story, and that, my friends, is today's first five. Now we're gonna turn and talk to Star Parker, and I know many of you, if you listen to my show, you know we have her on. We're blessed to have her on the first Tuesday of every month. She um, is a, she's the founder of CURE, which is based in Washington, D.C., the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. She is a fabulous spokesperson, actually, for uh, people in inner city communities who are struggling, need to get, uh, just need to get part on the American dream, into the American dream, back on, on path in America. Um, and she does tremendous things around the country, speaking to organizations of all kinds, inspiring people in, in uh, minority communities in America to think that they have a potential.
potential, a future, a path in this country. So I bet you, actually, I didn't tell her this, but as long as we have her on the phone, I'm going to ask her what she thinks about this. Uh, if she, has she been able to hear this conversation? She has, okay. What she thinks about this program um, in uh, Central Missouri prison. So, hello, Star. Hi, it's good to be back with you. And hopefully this week uh, you can hear me really clearly because I've made the commitment to you and I'm out and about and had to pull over to the side of the road. So I'm kind of in a noisy place. <laughs> okay. I actually I'm, I'm, I'm glad to you. I'm glad to hear you're busy. You just do so you do so much good for America. So I, I'm glad Aww. if you're busy and thanks for pulling over. Okay, so this is we now have her on the screen. That is Star Parker we're speaking to. So I don't know if you're able to hear the program I was just talking about a moment ago in the first five. Uh, were you able to hear that segment? Oh, absolutely. Every word of it. So what do you think about it? I think another thumbs up for President Trump, uh, not just because of this particular program, because it may not have anything to do specifically with what he was able to get accomplished through his prison reform and criminal justice reform initiative. But this is what we're hoping will happen a whole lot more all across the country to where the private sector, the decent people that are in the quiet communities, just serving their God, will start stepping up and doing programs to help those that are the least of these, who may have made a mistake in their life, and now they need our help. And so uh, it's very, very encouraging to hear what WashU is doing. It's an incredible school. In fact, I know it very, very well since my son-in-law is from St. Louis, but also the fact that now we have opportunity to see duplications of these types of programs all over the country um, because of the initiative of this president. I, show, I so love that. And on that subject of uh, what WashU did, I, mean, I was thinking about how many of us, um, most of us have not ever even been to a prison, seen the inside of a prison, imagine life there. All you really can imagine is what you maybe see in movies or television or, or read in books. But I think that I, I read about the idea that within prison, there's a sense of despondency that settles in. The idea of many people thinking, well, I've just made such a big mistake, whatever it was in my life, that I don't really have a path forward. And the idea that someone's saying to them from this university and other universities, no, you actually can have a path forward. That is just... It's just it's a uh, an awe-inspiring and noble motive that that school would have to tell people no, don't think your life is over, even though you had a pretty big mistake along the way. I love that. It's exactly what you said in your opening a monologue. The the people that are in our most distressed zip codes, those that maybe got a bad deal, uh, they didn't pick their lot. Uh, that they have a second chance. That's what this is about, that their fate is not their destiny. And there are many in our country who reach into the prisons to help those that are the least of these, that uh, they made a mistake, but they still see the redemptive power of God. A prison fellowship, actually, that was founded by Chuck Colson, was founded because he went to prison, and he understood inside that there's still hope. It's where he found the Lord, and he still knows that everyone in there is redeemable, and we at least need to try. Then they get the choice. So when you have opportunities like this to where a major university, as you said, it's an incredibly incredible university, is saying, let's do a program so that when they come out, they're not only going to have an option to return to their former uh, community, but they're going to have an option to say, I've got a, I've got a resume now. I've got a resume line. Yep. I've, I've, I've studied. And so now I can be mobile and move yeah. about the country and maybe get something that will build on uh, that next level or, and that next season of my life. So it is, it's, it's, it's important. And I want to reiterate one more other thing about the president's initiative that was passed into law about a year or so ago. And this criminal justice reform initiative, it allows for many, many more nonprofits to say, you know what, let's get involved because now, 
what we can do is say, when you get arrested, when you now get sentenced, you get an opportunity, especially if you're young, uh, to track yourself. If you say, I want this track, I want a track so I can learn how to behave, uh, then you'll go to that track. And on that track, you get more educational opportunities, you get uh, closer to your home so your family can come visit you. But if you're hardened and say, I don't care, I don't want to be learning, then you're going to get the other track. So um, I'm very, very pleased with that you bring this story to the forefront because there is good news in our country, not just for those that can redeem themselves, but also the fact that there are so many in our community and so many in our society that really want to help others, uh, yep. including those that wash you. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, well, now I want to turn, Star, to your uh, column. You have this column that uh, you're, you're just a tremendous writer and always zero in on, on issues facing America. The t- most recent column, Lisa, I know of that you had is about a young a female student um, at a university who formed the uh, young, YAF, the Young America Foundation uh, branch or um, whatever group at her university and it's called University of Northwestern it's in St. Paul Minnesota and but she got YAF going which is a great great Young America's Foundation I've spoken at YAF groups they're just fabulous groups on, on college campuses and then she invited you to speak I just can't imagine a more stellar speaker to come uh, and I, I guess I want you to share with the listeners what happened when uh, after and this woman's name is Haley and I'm hoping you help me with the last name to shatter or Shatter, Shatter, yeah, Shatter. Yep. Um, <laughs> so most of the letters are silent, but yes, Shatter. Uh-huh. Okay. And you know what's interesting? In fact, I just introduced it to the world yesterday on Fox and Friends because what's interesting about this story? It's a small Christian school, and it's a private school, so they get to decide what who they want. I, I'm firm believer in free markets and free associations. But what happened here needed public attention because she opened a club. They approved it. It's a YAF club. YAF, for people are not familiar, um, are the owners of the Reagan Ranch. And what they do is they train leaders for tomorrow. They train these university students that are having difficulties on their college to get that other worldview, that other discussion going. So YAF now expands into colleges to uh, allow a place to dialogue about issues that we're talking about at the kitchen table. Anywhere you're seeing on the news every day, it's political, it's, it's, it's policy, it's everything about culture and society. And so this young woman, being raised in a Christian home, a Christian conservative home, chose a college that she thought was consistent with her worldview. Well, she got there and found out they had a little more liberal bent to themselves than uh, she, just her liking, so she opened a YAF chapter. They approved the YAF chapter, a little bit of club, then they invite me. They invite me, and all of a sudden, I'm too radical, too extreme for their community. It almost sounds like they're a cult or something. So all of a sudden, they're not only <laughs> yanking the, 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 the opportunity for me to come and just share with the students on abortion. That was a topic. It was an abortion uh, for life. It was a Christian little school. Uh, and not only did they do that, they went after the student. When this first happened, I stayed out of the discussion because hey, that's their choice. But now, two weeks ago, I found out that they were going after the student. That's why I wrote my nationally syndicated column about it, because they're marginalizing her. They're trying to shut down her little club. Uh, I've been <clears throat> looking and thinking about her future as a young woman who, at her college, this is her experience. Uh, who knows where she'll be able to mobilize and, and work uh, later in life. So I stepped into the discussion, because I think if the Christian community itself is not going to dialogue with our young people about issues that everybody else is talking about, they're on the front page of paper, um, then, then who will? Who will help them shape their ideas so that they can combat this secular uh, cultural war that we're in uh, as a Christian community of people? 
Absolutely. And for our listeners, this school, again, is called University of Northwestern. It's in St. Paul. It's a Christian school. So Star Parker, uh, who's on the line with us, often speaks at, to conservative groups of all kinds, frequently addresses the subject of abortion and the valuing of life, and, and it's just a very eloquent uh, both testimony and presentation about it. But the school's response to this uh, when, once they realized that this young woman had invited Star Parker to speak, the school's response said, we really don't bring speakers who radically hold beliefs that UNW as a whole world would not, as a whole, would not agree with. So they're saying a Christian school, number one, wouldn't agree with a pro-life view, but number two, wouldn't agree with the idea that the pro-life message could at least be offered and shared on campus, even if you're going to yeah. have kids raise their hand, protest, argue, bring a pro-choice speaker. They're saying, you can't, you know, this is so radical that someone's going to speak up for life that you can't even have her come here. I mean, you, you expect that from, like, Berkeley. But this is from... Well, yeah. Go ahead. You know, it's interesting. You know, and that you would even mention Berkeley. I've been uh, lecturing for Young America Foundation, YAF.org, for 25 years. I've been on Berkeley for them more than once. I've been at Wells. Wellesley. Wells is really interesting. It's the sister school of Wellesley, which is Hillary Clinton's school, and uh, it's like 80% lesbian up there. I've been at Emory. I've been at University of Pennsylvania, where they have real issues. I mean, I've been over 250 campuses in this country in the last 20-something years. So uh, it caught us a little off guard to say that knowing what we know today with the discussions that we are having in our culture, everything from, from uh, uh, 68 a um, million children being slaughtered in the womb, and now Democrats promoting infanticide, all the way to the definition of marriage has changed to where we're having discussions about uh, gender identification with, with, with five-year-olds uh, as they go into school. With all of these cultural issues on the table, for a Christian university to say, we don't even want to talk about it, just put your heads in the sand. Yeah, I offered even the administration, I said, look, if you think I'm a little polemic, that's understandable. I could be brash a little time. Then let's just do it as a discussion. Let's do it as a debate. Um, you can bring in a panel. It doesn't matter to me. But one week out, canceling the event and then trying to pretend that it was because she didn't dot certain I's and cross certain T's, that it was all about how she applied for me to come. Uh, come on, this is disingenuous. There's no need of us lying about it. The email speaks for itself that they thought that this is too extreme, we don't want to be bothered. And so what I did in my column is said, we had this opportunity in society once before. It's called Jim Crow. We, black codes and segregation did not happen in a vacuum. When four million former slaves were released into our society, they went to find freedom and doors started shutting. And there were decent people that were just sitting there quiet and just hoped it went away. Just please go away, including the church. They just shut the door on all of that discussion during that time, which allowed the KKK to grow to six million members and, and lynching after lynching to where by the time the dust settled, we had over 3,000 lynchings in this country in that very short period of time and needed a civil rights movement. So now God has given us another opportunity to go around that same hill. And I think that this particular school missed this opportunity by saying we'd rather bury our heads in the sand. They sure did. Two other points you make in your column. And again, we're speaking to Star Parker, and you can find her online at urbancure.org, urbancure.org, and also on Twitter, at urbancure. But Star, I love another point you made in your column, which is what you were alluding to in your last remarks, which is the famous quote from Edmund Burke, uh, which is essentially, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. It is so easy 
to to be silenced, to just salute to the politically correct if they are belligerent, they they characterize conservative views as uh, either extreme or intolerant or something. But the school was characterizing you as extreme. It's easy to just shut up, and that's this is not a time in our country when you can have no. people just surrender to this kind of pressure. So I, I love that these that, that you're speaking up for this young woman. I love that, and I love the stories that you share when you do uh, speaking on campus. You mentioned in the column that uh, about the other t- times in which uh, in our right now examples in our culture where Christian people are trying to speak up and they are in one way or another being silenced by the government. I don't want to go off on those stories today, but it is a this is not an isolated incident. This is an ongoing no. attitude. That, that, that's why we need more of them to push in. They're not alone. That's why this Christian school let society down and let their Christian community down by not opening the door to discussion. And we're seeing it more and more. People are being intimidated. They're losing their jobs as individuals, but the church won't speak out and defend them. We have to remind ourselves, a hundred million Americans still get up and go to church on Sunday morning. These are people that take it seriously. Otherwise, why would they get up and go to church on Sunday morning when you have 200 million that don't? So they at least need some insight. They at least need some direction. I know too many people now personally where their kids are going to these universities and coming back liberals. And this is why, because they did not learn Christian apologetics, because they did not have their school mindful enough to say, we've got to expose them to these harder truths, even if they make us uncomfortable. Absolutely the case. I want to turn uh, to, you had another column recently, and you were, uh, and I want a quick turn to that on the subject of abortion laws uh, in our country, Alabama and Georgia having new abortion laws on the books. But one point you're making in this column is that it's not just a particular issue about abortion, but is it tying it to the idea of, of the feel of protecting life, the sense of having a society committed to protecting life. It causes us to feel like we're large, some, or part of something larger than ourselves, that we're part of a, of a community, of a country, of a, of a Christian nation. And in particular, you want to in this column talking about the connection or the factual observation that we are seeing in America a, a reduction in the no, the number of people getting married, the percent of young people married. Uh, we're seeing a reduction in the uh, number of children being born. We are, we are not replacing ourselves. Our birth rate is going down. And you were tying that to our acceptance of abortion. And I, I, I wonder if you can just talk about that a little bit, like how you see the, the prevalence of abortion tied to uh, not, not getting married and people not having children. You know, the Bible says that if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? What we've done is we've destroyed the very foundation of humanity with abortion law. We have said that we do not believe in Creator God that tells us that we are uniquely formed in the womb. And by allowing for that spirit of, 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 I guess you could just say anti-life and anti-humanity to get into our culture for a couple of generations now. We have people making decisions based on that. So we have millennials, for instance, basing their their family life on the fact that it's disposable, that we can calculate these things ourselves, that we can plan out to the point that we can either decide to have children or not. It's just all a matter of choice. 
they don't they lose sight of the fact that choice loses its meaning if it doesn't matter what we choose. So they're now choosing not to marry. They're choosing not to have too many children because they're they are being indoctrinated through an environmental messaging that says that, you know, children are environmental hazards. Don't have too many. <laughs> yeah. Planned Parenthood's now even sending out messages that you know your your chances of dying in in childbirth are bigger than your chances of of, of, of dying in abortion, you know, and all of this messaging and they're not being countered in our society, including at some of the Christian universities. So we've got a whole generation that has bought into uh, this mindset that life is just about me. It's about me and materialism. And children get in the way of that. Children are very humbling. Little dogs love you. Children <laughs> mock you, frankly. And so when the choices are made and they're left up to mankind, they're choosing now not to birth and not to marry. You know, it is many people have commented about this, about America's birth rate going down. And we're watching, actually, we, Europe is ahead of us on that. that Western Europe has had the uh, birth rate declining really for a longer period of time than we have in, in, in numbers. And then you're watching is that you really, the whole culture loses a sense of vibrancy and, and a sense of, of expectation of good in the future, expectation of a right. of the next generation of joy in the next generation, and uh, the expectation of life going forward. It's a it's a very um, it, it's a dark sense about society that we just we're so not joyful and looking forward to life and marriage in the next generation uh, that life I, it just what what descends is a sense of meaningless about life. That's exactly right. And anyone that's traveled through Europe, wherever you go, in any country, as everyone says, oh, but that, they're still wonderful. No, they're like zombies. Um, one of the things that most foreigners comment most about Americans is that we are happy, that we are joyful. Why? Because we have choice, we have freedom, and it allows us to make mistakes. It allows us to just, you know, keep moving forward. But you don't have that sense anywhere in Europe, and they are not duplicating themselves, and that's why they also have an Ill illegal immigration problem, uh, that they're in transition. And some of the countries that are trying to get ahead of it, uh, that have been socialist for generations, atheists and socialists at the same time, are now starting to revisit their faith. Uh, their original Christianity, and they're also starting to revisit capitalism and say maybe this stuff doesn't work. The smaller, it doesn't get a whole lot of news, but they are starting to rethink this because they know themselves that they're on a path to self-destruction. It's not just about duplication of yourself, but it's also exactly what you said, Deb. It's about life. It's about having fun in life. It's about creating as God created us, and you don't find that in most of those European countries because they've removed themselves from that fundamental principle of life that should be protected from womb to tomb. Life should be protected. Very well said, Star Parker. Would you tell our listeners, I, I mentioned your website, you have uh, also you on Twitter, on Twitter at Urban Cure, your website, urbancure.org. This is an organization, folks, if you want to find someone, you can hear it in Star Parker's voice, who is on fire to inspire people in our country to to re-embrace the value of life, re-embrace what America is all about. She brings a message to inner cities, especially about the idea that the American dream is alive and well, and you got to stay in school and finish school and don't get married till you, uh, you know, wait till you are married to have kids, all these intact families, all of the messages that this generation has missed out on. Star Parker is just a, a, a force of nature bringing those messages to Americans uh, in our city community. So Star, anyone last words about your website or what's your, your latest projects? Actually, we have a new book coming out. Mention I that. do have a new book coming out, Necessary Noise, in September. But we also, how we reach into the inner cities is through our clergy program. And so we have a clergy summit coming up in September uh, where we bring 
clergymen that serve in these hard-hit zip codes to Washington, D.C., for three days of regular diet in this information. So anyone that wants to sponsor a pastor, we would love for that uh, person to go to urbancure.org, U-R-B-A-N-C-U-R-E.org, urbancure.org. They can find me through Star Parker as well, starparker.com. They're going to find me. But those are our two big projects right now. It's preparing for my book, which will then launch my news talk show uh, every week. But, but the major, major project is making sure that we double our numbers from last year of these clergy that come to Washington. So we're looking for 200 pastors to come and be in Washington, D.C. Uh, with us this September. Star, it is always just a great pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'll see you next month. <laughs> next time. Okay. <laughs> yep. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that, my friends, is Star Parker. She is a fabulous, just a fabulous, I mean force of nature, just an uh, outspoken, relentless defender of not just life, but of the idea of family, of community, of the need for America to, to, to put in place good programs that bring strong public education to the inner city so kids have a potential and a possibility for bursting onto the American scene, joining the American dream. She's just a, uh, just a, a wonderful patriot and I love having her on every first Tuesday of the month. And the last story I want to share today, I want to talk about the, uh, today happens to be the anniversary, the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. And this occurred in Beijing, China. And I'm going to talk about it, not just from the perspective of an anniversary, a remembrance, but really what it reveals about what Chinese culture and government was like then. And it's a springboard to tell you about what our show tomorrow, because on our show tomorrow, we have Gordon Chang in studio. And if you don't know who Gordon Chang is, you can Google his name. You'll soon find out. But he is a uh, revered author. Uh, He's on every major talk show in this country, all the major networks. He is an expert on China, an expert in North Korea, an expert on Asia. He has lived uh, in various parts of Asia. He has written extensively. He's researched. And his main topics he's been talking about, and what we'll be talking with him tomorrow about, is about the trade deal that President Trump is, well, at the moment, not negotiating. They were negotiating. That's kind of broken off. But there was an ongoing uh, trade deal discussion between China and the U.S. And uh, so Gordon Chang will weigh in on that tomorrow and other aspects about what China is, about what China, um, what the culture represents. I just want to talk about the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre anniversary uh, and to make three or four points about it. First of all, if you didn't happen to remember it, it was in 1989, obviously 30 years ago. And the um, there were actually around the country of China, there were about, I, I read the number 241, but 240 or so protests happening in cities and towns all over China. And this was a democracy movement. This was a movement in a country where they have a heavily repressive communist government, a movement by young people mainly, but you know, people of all ages wanting freedom demanding that they have more representational government, more democracy. They hate living under communism. So this is 30 years ago. And just prior to the decade leading up to these protests, there had been a slight 
uh, softening or lessening of the government's control over the economy. So they had more free market ideas working their way into the mindset of people in China. The idea that, you know, why should the government own everything as it does in communist countries and communist ideology? Why shouldn't we have more freedom? Why can't we own more things? But it came to a head uh, in this summertime. It's just uh, just huge protests in Beijing. One of the most significant images of the Tiananmen Square protests, I think my wonderful producer Matt has it ready, uh, was a was one man. Just look at this picture. That is one man. He's actually holding shopping bags, standing in front of a lineup of the Chinese communist militaries uh, tanks lined up in front of the tanks and they had this um, I want to tell you a couple of things keep that image up a couple of things about uh, this image it became kind of iconic people around the world uh, knew what that knew what that picture was people it came to symbolize the uh, the protest that was happening um, in China and it was happened on June 4th and so this was a this became a, an image which people called the lone man and a lot of people were asking what happened to him you know, what happened to this guy who's standing in front trying to stop the tanks what did happen in China was they had these protests ongoing and the government wasn't sure how to handle them. They, they thought at first maybe they just ignored it and didn't permit it to, to get much media coverage that it would just die down. But it didn't. It kept growing and growing and growing. And so this um, picture you're looking at, this, this iconic photo from Tiananmen Square, uh, it became known as the Lone Man um, lone man picture and and a couple interesting things uh, happened about that um, one is people were asking uh, after Tiananmen Square and because ultimately the government opened fire they, they rolled tanks over people they opened fire and um, and many people died people asked well how many people died I will tell you that at the time people said well hundreds and maybe up to a thousand but but one secret British diplomatic cable written at the time from China uh, 24 hours after the massacre said that at least 10,000 people were killed. This was a massive, massive square and a massive protest. So at the time, someone aware of it at the time said 10,000 people were killed. So what was happening really was the Chinese young people were saying, you know, we should have a right to more democracy. We want our freedom. We want we want to push forward. We want more freedom. We want more cutting back on the government's power. We want to fight back against communism, fight back against socialism. Well, what the Chinese government did after this, they have literally, and for this whole time, 30 years, have literally made it impossible for the average Chinese person to find out anything about Tiananmen Square. It's like they're trying to, uh, like in the 1984 book, trying to erase it from the memories of their people. It's never taught in the schools. The Chinese control the internet so much in China that people can't find information about Tiananmen Square even when they go online, because unlike America, where you know we're, we're only regulated on the internet by whatever Google does to us, but in China, the government stops you from getting the information they don't want you to have. So a couple interesting things happen. Uh, so, so the people don't know about it. Well, in Taiwan, there is a museum in Taiwan called, it's just called June 4. 
because that's the date of the Tiananmen Square massacre, June 4. So you can in Taiwan go and walk through and see the images of uh, of the this day of massacre in the in Tiananmen Square in Beijing. I didn't want to put grotesque images up, but I will tell you that you can find images of scores of bodies piled up by the police who've been killed by, by the uh, the military, the Chinese military that opened fire on the crowds and literally ran tanks over people. Um, you can find pictures of bicycles. I mean, Chinese are still today, but and, and then too, use bicycles to get around their crowded cities. And so bicycles, just scores of bicycles flattened, flattened by the Chinese military tanks. Uh, many, of course, grotesque images of people um, slaughtered by the Chinese military. I'm not gonna show you all those, but I want to plant the seed about how this, what it says about the Chinese government and what it says about the communist mindset. They think they get to decide what the people can know. They have decided that the people are not really ever supposed to understand what happened in Tiananmen and that people have no right to understand what the government did, how, how they responded, why they responded the way they did. But I'll tell you something interesting. There was a speech um, given by the Chinese defense minister. I mean, everyone in the world is obviously aware of the 30-year anniversaries today. There have been a lot of uh, programs and, and, you know, different people have written about it or, or, and spoken about this 30-year anniversary. So China's defense minister, General Wei and his last name is F-E-N-G-H-E. So I'm just going to go with Wei Fengay, but whatever his name is, he told an audience, he spoke in Singapore on Tuesday, excuse me, on Sunday, so two days ago, spoke in Singapore two days ago, and he talked about the Tiananmen Square and said, in light of the protest and what those people were demanding, which was democracy, remember, representation, they were demanding freedom, this guy said, the current Chinese Defense Minister, General Wei Fengay, said in Singapore on Sunday that how the Chinese military responded in slaughtering at least hundreds, if not thousands of people, was, in his words, the correct policy. Another term used by the government of China referring to this Tiananmen Square massacre was, it was a vaccination a vaccination. It was a shot at the people, letting them know you are not going to do this protest. You cannot have what you want. You it, it, Essentially, he's saying, he, this vaccination guy who said, made that statement, he's saying that the country of China, the Communist Party, was protected was protected from the protests of the people by this massacre. There is no remorse expressed by the Chinese government. There is no apology. There is no recognition that maybe we could have handled it differently. What communists cannot stand is people thinking they have the right to live in freedom thinking that people, they can't tolerate, that people think they have any rights at all unless the Chinese government, the communist government, has decided you have those rights. It's the whole concept of communism and how radically, radically different it is from the concepts that founded America. The idea behind communism is the government has complete control, period, 
over everything. You have no rights unless the government decides you have those rights. You don't have rights to express yourself, to assemble, to demand freedom, to demand accountability. You don't even have the right to know what the government did. So this 30-year anniversary of the Tiananmen Square is not being celebrated just as a memory of the lives lost, although that is a reason to acknowledge it. But it's a far deeper thing. It's a profound reminder for today in America to understand when you have radical leftists in this country running, acknowledging they are socialists who are kissing cousins of communists, when you have the same American left that's pushing socialist ideas, that's pushing government control over more and more of society, that is rebuking of individual freedoms, that's intolerant of Christianity, intolerant of Christian beliefs, intolerant of the speech that people, of the free speech that they don't like. This Tiananmen Square anniversary this reminder is a reminder to America that we are very radically different than communist China, that we are a country founded on rights from God simply because we were born. It's the radical difference between America and socialism, America and communism. America has Judeo-Christian roots, and because we have those roots, it is the ideas in the Bible that the founders of our country spoke about and wrote about and made the argument that we are going to found a country on the idea that each and every individual has rights from God simply because you were born, the government exists to protect those rights. That would be a laughable, in fact, an arrestable statement if made in a communist country, that you think you have any rights at all. And so this Tiananmen Square anniversary, you know, you know, I urge you to read more about it, understand more about it. There are a lot of people trying to write about it. In fact, there are a lot of people talking about whether or not America uh, should have been more, um, uh, should have been responded in a harsher way toward communist China. Uh, at the time, uh, George H.W. Bush was saying, well, you know, we can't get too carried away here. In fact, H.W. Uh, was trying to make the argument at the time um, that, you know, that we would probably hurt our relationship with China if we protested. We would hurt our relationship with China if we scolded or punished them or called them out or tried to embarrass them. The argument was that China was already on a path of loosening the communist country controls China was on a good path. If America speaks up, you know, we might cause the Chinese government to revert back to its more controlling ways. Well, obviously, that was a bad call because all that China has done since then is, is more repressive, more controlling, more limiting. In fact, I just cannot wait to tell you folks, wait to tell you tomorrow with Gordon Chang here, all of what China really is all about now, what's happening in China. It relates to the trade deal, but also relates to the culture, the government control, the mindset of the communist leadership um, that is, is still there today, 30 years after Tiananmen Square.
And finally, folks, so that's my show for today. I want to wrap up by telling you the um, why, why all that we talked about today matters to you, why everything we talk about matters in terms of preserving this expression, special, extraordinary experiment in human liberty, America. On the Wash U story, the inmate degrees, this is a beautiful thing. Reformation, belief in reformation, regeneration, it brings hope. This is extending the American dream potential to prisoners. This idea of earned success conferring dignity. These people earned a degree by going to classes and doing the work. The dignity you saw in their faces in those pictures, the joy, the sense of accomplishment, way better than any handout anyone can think of. So congratulations to Wash U and all those graduates uh, on silencing Christian conservatives. Star Parker joined us, talked about what happened to her at a little school, University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota. A Christian school who said that Star Parker's coming there to talk about the value of life was unacceptable and inconsistent with their values. This is a flat-out attack on Christianity, and attacks on Christianity are attacks on America. Christian leaders have been weak, confused, apologetic, and the institutions that that allow that to happen, that don't speak up, they are accelerating their, the demise of their own schools. For a Christian university to ban Star Parker from speaking is an act of weakness, confusion, or cowardice. Christian leaders must do better. Last slide, Tiananmen Square, 30 years later, why this matters to you. In 1989, China was a state-controlled atheist society with a totalitarian dictatorial government and it has not changed. It has not changed. America's trade policies, which we'll hear more about tomorrow, have actually emboldened and strengthened China's dictatorial control of its people. We, our trade policies, have paid for the buildup of China's military. Trump, I'm going to give a little hint about tomorrow, is on the right. He is right to rethink everything we do with China. Tune in tomorrow for Gordon Shang. He'll tell you much more about it. And in closing today, folks, I do this show Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, out of just love for this, this impossibly precious country, this unique leader of freedom in the world, and this country that needs to have every generation of patriots committed to speaking up to preserve this precious country, all the rights we have guaranteed in our founding, and the whole spirit of freedom in this country that is under assault today in this country by forces inside this country. We, the patriots, need to be speaking up about preserving America the Great. I'm Debbie Georges. This is America Can We Talk. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-